This podcast is made possible by the generosity of listeners like you. Kindly consider a contribution through Patreon or PayPal. Links are in the details box. Patreon is a monthly subscription that you can cancel anytime. And PayPal is a one-time donation. Any amount is appreciated. And follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The handle, The Beirut Banyan. And you can find us on our YouTube channel with the same name. And you can start watching the episodes as they're released. Thank you for listening. And thank you for watching. I'm Rani Shatah. And this is The Beirut Banyan. Well, thank you for willing to join the podcast within, I guess, 90 minutes or maybe even less. Literally a quick exchange on Twitter. And here we are. And I, I really appreciate that. It, it means a lot to me because uh, you are, I think, fluent in a subject that I'm really eager to discuss. And we're going to get into this. But also because... You're a fan of the podcast, and that makes me happy. <laughs> you've kind of let it. You've shared that on Twitter, and you've we've kind of had this, you know, private exchange. It means a lot that you're that you're listening to the episodes and watching them. Hence, I will give you the benefit of the doubt and uh, sort of encourage you to come on the podcast regularly from now on. We may do twenty episodes together on different subjects. But before before we get into all of that, I want to ask you: How are you doing in the middle of this pandemic that is continuing? Uh, how are you sort of seeing the news at the moment? I know you're in Montreal, but you're, I'm guessing you're kind of in tune with what's happening, at least south of the border in, in, in the U.S. And just your, your personal life, given the madness that we've grown accustomed to maybe in 2020 so far. So I ask you this very general question. How are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I'm doing as well as anyone else, I guess. Uh, I've been isolated for the past uh, seven, eight weeks, I would go out uh, from time to time just to buy food and things like that. Uh, and so it has affected me in that sense, like the social life is not there anymore, uh, human contact is not there anymore, but other than that, it's fine. Uh, like I'm mentally uh, healthy, I think. Uh, you're, we'll see you're if still... there are repercussions later, right? But yeah. <laughs> so far, uh, there's no depressions and uh, long crying hours or anything of that sort. But Good. So you know, it's seven to eight weeks, you've been more or less alone in, in Montreal. Yeah, I mean, if it's alone, that's fine. But it's also with social media. So you get all the negative news as well. And everything's amplified. So. Right, right. You yeah. know, I actually, I'm glad you mentioned this from the beginning. Your access to what's happening in the U.S. at the moment, these protests that are sort of sweeping the country, are you in tune via social media mostly? Is it just simply accessing it through your phone? and keeping up with what's happening? Yeah, I mean, I've lived uh, eight years in the U.S. I've mm, studied mm. in the U.S., so I, I know how things are. Yeah. I know how tense encounters with the police can be, regardless of your race. So I can imagine it might be tougher even for, uh, for certain people. So I kind of uh, have an idea of how things are. But mm. yeah, all the, I'm not paying too much attention because you know, uh, opinions are too strong about it, and you have two extreme uh, extremes. Yeah, and it's kind of uh, it's very bad, right? Like if you go on the comments and 
you know, read the articles and all of that. It's not a nice place to be. And so I tend to stay out of it or at least look just at the events from a neutral point of view or try to have a neutral point of view. You know, I'm glad you're saying this. And without we haven't spoken about this. It's the first time we actually, it's the first time we speak. Uh, I feel the same way. I feel like uh, expressing an opinion now, at least through social media, will only amplify the more extremes of the of the debate. And even if even if one side may have more justified expression, it still feels like you're only contaminating rather than sort of offering anything beneficial. At least when it comes to social media. And I I wonder if did that resonate with you in Beirut a few months back when all that was happening on the streets, all of us were exchanging information on an instant basis did you feel the same way or is it something maybe more personal towards lebanon and you can kind of maybe see through that stuff no absolutely not because uh in 17 october i saw things black and white really mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. in that sense and mm-hmm. i know things are never black and white right but i felt that the people on the streets have a legitimate demand mm-hmm. for change right and that that, that was very obvious to me mm-hmm. And to tell you the truth, personally, I don't like violence. I despise violence, even if it's a legitimate violence. Yeah. And so in Beirut, uh, all the demonstrations were very pacific, right? Yeah, for, for the mean, most part, absolutely. For the most part, yes. at least the ones I, I participated in, like mm. even when you were face to face with the army who were fully armed and things were getting tense, you, yeah. you felt that most of the people who are engaged are kind of mature and know what they're doing. I had that feeling in that. So they would de-escalate when they need to de-escalate. They would kind of negotiate when they needed to negotiate. They mm. weren't this mm. random, you know, throwing Molotov cocktails or whatever. I know that later on these things happen for yes. whatever reason. Yes. But at least the ones I participated in were extremely pacific and pacific. And that gave me kind of hope that maybe the newer generation is better than mine. Maybe they have shed most of the things that I couldn't shed, maybe. So uh, <laughs> it, it was positive in, in that sense to me. And I saw it black and white, which is, I repeat, it's never the case, right? And now I know why you're a fan of the podcast. I think without meeting you, I think we see a lot of things eye to eye. And I have that kind of that That's same sort of hesitation. When I see, and you know, I don't even know if violence, violence may not be the right word because I've had people kind of point that out and, and I might be wrong here, where uh, at least when it comes to the recent issue in, in New York, for example, sort of breaking in, looting, uh, or, or in Beirut, sort of storming a bank and kind of just setting it on fire, that that is different than social unrest and, and civil strife. So I guess maybe the word... Maybe there are different ways of interpreting that that word on its own, but I still hesitate regardless. When I see it, I, I kind of, I see another way as as more productive than that sort of act of desperation, especially when, when the, the imagery is so familiar. And I think, without you saying it, that that's what you're referring to, that you kind of have memories of, of what violence can do to a society. Yeah, I mean... Uh... Uh, it's also counterintuitive in the sense that if you look at the bigger changes in the world, mm-hmm. they've come with violence. And I'll use that word because it was violence. If you look at the French Revolution and, you know, the Bolshevik Revolution, if you look at the, the American Revolution, they were bloody, right? Yes. 
and you would find it hard to see a Martin Luther King kind of example or a Gandhi kind of example. I mean, these are uh, these are not the norms. And for yeah. Uh, yeah. thousands of, of years, humans lived on violence, right? I mean, I mean, we've we've probably experienced. I mean, when we say we, I'm talking about my generation and mm-hmm. not in Lebanon. Yes, but right. actually, it was a Pacific world kind of, right? I mean, we came after World War, world War Two. It was Cold War. Yeah, yes, there's been like atrocities in parts of the world, but in general, you would think a big chunk of the population didn't see an aggressive world, right? Like in Lebanon, we have a different perspective. Right. With the civil war, right. we've seen it face on. But so, in that sense, uh, uh, yeah, I'm not going to go into semantics, violence, not violence. Uh, my ideal would be a pacific change of things, which is probably naive. I'm, I'm not sure. I, I, you know, that's well said, and I, uh, I'm glad you're kind of starting it off this way by offering what resonates with me, at least in terms of our generation. I think we're both old enough to have that bit of perspective. We know what it's like to live through the civil war. We also know what it, what, what any type of violence can do, and the consequences. And you kind of took me back to earlier stages of history, the French Revolution, American Revolution. I, I'm glad you've done both because that's really the theme of what we're going to talk about. In a way, it's it's managing a state, trying to find a way forward without delving, or with, sorry, without diving into the abyss. And I think that is exactly what happened to Lebanon not that long ago. And 1969, 1970, even though it's before our time, it is recent history. And I reached out to you because I actually saw that you had posted a clip about the Cairo Accord, the Cairo Agreement, pretty much what initiated the, the, the structural breakdown of the Lebanese state and sovereignty in its essence. And it's something that I've never seen. I've never witnessed. I've never, there's no moment in my life that I actually experienced what it would have been like to live in a sovereign Lebanon. So this is all folklore to me, but it's also not that long ago. And you put up a roughly less than 20 minute sort of uh, clip and you're narrating the events that I forgot. And you know, you there are names you referenced. Uh, they're, they're mostly from the 1970s, 1980s. Uh, this includes Johnny Abdu, this includes Emil Bustani. Even ref- referencing Al-Fidayeen and bringing Arafat back, Fuad Shheb, Kamel Abdel Nasser, these are characters that did not come up during the October, November, December protests in Beirut. But I firmly believe they're still in the background. And I'm guessing that you, you think of it sort of a similar way, that these are not ghosts only, that they're actually still the issues that were that were at least tackled 50 years ago and not solved they're still with us today and i think there's a lot to explore here i want to just ask you a, a sort of like a more immediate question before getting sort of too far back in time do you think in 2020 that lebanon is still facing the same problems it faced 50 years ago or is Lebanon today in a very different situation? You can't really link the two together, and they should be seen separately and perhaps challenged separately. I'll just start it off with with that kind of broader question, then we can kind of dive in. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't see any two events similar. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the players are different, the circumstances are different, the internal structure is different, the generation is different, the time is different. So you cannot really say, uh, you cannot really compare, even though in the video I try to make a comparison. And the only comparison that can be made without hesitation is that the central government gave up sovereignty over the territory. Okay. Yeah. For whoever, for whoever it gave that uh, to, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Today, I see it as given, uh, given up that, that right to a political party, to a political and military party which is represented by Hezbollah, regardless of what you think of Hezbollah, regardless if you think if it, it's doing the right thing or not, which can be debatable, right? And there are a big portion of the Lebanese population who think that's the right cause, mm-hmm. while other another part of the population think this is a complete evil, right? You have that schism. Mm-hmm. But what you cannot... Uh, what you cannot disagree with is that uh, the central government does not have full sovereignty on decision making in any case mm-hmm. and and that's like if you take it from a practical point of view I can understand in the sense that Hezbollah cannot go talk to the ministers and tell them you know uh, we're going to do that operation we need approval beforehand then <laughs> you know it, it doesn't work like that it, is, operations, it definitely does not work like that <laughs> right so these operations need secrecy they need independent decision making yeah right so from that perspective from the perspective of Hezbollah the weapon cannot be part of what's being called as under the sovereignty of the government it doesn't work you, for practical reason you need independence. Okay. So, so that kind of independence, is that the common thread here between 1969, 1970, and what we're seeing today? That there's that kind of uh, ability for a group to, in a way, avoid state scrutiny, and, and that, that's the common theme? Or is it beyond that, that there's a regional sort of dynamic similar to what we saw 50 years ago, and it's something that Lebanon cannot cope with? And unfortunately, it coped with it 50 years ago by kind of eventually breaking up and falling apart. I mean, I, I guess I, I, I'm trying to see what exactly is the comparison and what is not. Because I like that you said it. Yeah, I, there mean, are, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the parallels can be done in the sense that even Hezbollah, it's, not, uh, it's known that it has a very close relationship to Iran if we want to limit it to that, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The PLO were uh, kind of... Uh, had that relationship with Abdel Nasser or other people. It wasn't the same relationship. Right, absolutely. Uh, right? Yeah. It was very different. Yeah. But there's always re- this regional international player on the scene, right? Like, let's, say, let's say, let's abstract a little bit and say, okay, Hezbollah is totally independent, does not get weapons, does not get money from Iran, Let, let's, which is not true, but let's right. go to that abstraction. Yeah there will always be that player, that regional player that would try to influence that weapon, that right, would try to influence right. that party, right? It mm-hmm. happens with other political parties. All of them have some sort of influ- influences, mm-hmm. either mm-hmm. from the region or international. The only difference is they don't have the weapons to force their opinion on others, right? right. Yes. Well, in that case, there is. And if we go back to the PLO, the PLO had that uh, strength to force their opinion on, on others, right? Right. 
Right. So but, I'm not but, sure if it makes. Yeah. No, no, but it does. But I'm. I guess what I'm. Maybe I'm asking it the wrong way. But uh, the the inevitable conclusion to the Cairo Agreement was a divided country that armed itself to the point that the state disintegrated and imploded. And the state was the first sort of victim, if you will, uh, that kind of that oversight of trying to bring all the groups together and maybe pacify them in a way, it failed. And you, in a way, you kind of hint at, uh, at the earlier stages of that. You mentioned Fouad Heb, and I like that you, uh, you kind of brought that moment back to life where he's meeting Gamal Abdel Nasser on the border, and they're sort of, they're agreeing to leave Lebanon out of that Arabism, pan-Arabism, and Lebanese nationalism schism. So you have a roughly 10 years where it is, in a way, calmed. But then by 1969-1970, it explodes. And it takes just a few years for the country to freefall. Today, are we seeing that kind of dynamic at play? And I know that 2019, there's no agreement per se. I know that there's no kind of regional understanding that Lebanon will be the battlefield. I know that that's absent. But the circumstances, at least what Lebanon is experiencing, it's very similar. You have a society that's divided, and you have a very tense regional atmosphere, and a sub-state group with weapons. So I guess, what maybe I'm, maybe I'm asking is, is it inevitable that Lebanon will end up in the same place it always ends up, which is using violence? Or is this time around something else that we don't necessarily have that threat, at, at least for the time being? Yeah, you know, uh, my opinion hinges really on, uh, if you had asked me six months ago, I was really hopeful that this is impossible, the new generation is uh, didn't experience all of that, mm. Uh, mm. they don't have they don't have these ideas, but yeah. now I'm, I'm kind of thinking the opposite, that really, it's, it's right there, like the same speech I've seen in the 80s during the Civil War, the exactly. same speech I've seen, yeah. uh, and... Uh, it's it's really hard to call. I mean, uh, the hope is no, but mm-hmm. uh, I'm I'm not too optimist about how things might end up. And really, I don't think anyone could uh, pre- could pretend to know how things are going to end up. But we can all agree that it's a very tense, extremely tense moment we are living. Now you pointed at. I know these are all unrelated, but they're lining <laughs> up, and they're lining up at least for the conversation for this <laughs> for this episode. You're adamant that the use of violence is wrong, and you prefer seeing a, a, a pacific, a pacified sort of reaction to any issue, and wh- whether that's a Lebanese issue or an American issue or a Canadian issue or whatever the issue is. So what, if we can sort of revise the events that took place, what would have been the sort of the better agreement in 1969 that Lebanon did maybe could have avoided a 15-year civil war and a, a post-war era that we're still trying to come out of. That, What are the ingredients, if you will, so that Lebanon does not sort of always continue to disappoint over and over and over? And I, I mean, and I think you probably share this sort of sentiment that any hopeful opportunity is usually met with severe consequences and a situation that gets worse over time. And that's not new. That's kind of the Lebanon we grew up with. So what, what would it take to whatever the issues are, 
avoiding violence and rebuilding a lost state and trying to have that as the common goal. Can, can I bring you back a little bit farther than 69? Take that, me back uh, all the way. You want to go to the before Christ? We can go before Christ too. <laughs> no, that's too no, far. It's too far? Uh, okay. To, I think that's, well, actually, it's not too far. <laughs> so the <laughs> Phoenicians. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> so I, I think the, 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 the problem in Lebanon, we've always ran on compromises. And mm. as long as these compromises work, we were fine. When these compromises kind of were shaken, we went into violence, we went into discord. Mm -hmm. So uh, George Nash was the best to say it, deux négations ne font pas une nation. He said yes, two negations yes. do not make a nation and he was criticizing the 43 pact. Right, so right. saying we don't, okay, we will, will, <laughs> will not be part of Syria and at the same time we'll kick the French out. These two negations do not make a nation. You have to, you have to really. Have, so that's a, that's a damn has, shame because that's the foundation of the country. Exactly, exactly. But but the thing is, I'm criticizing in the sense that as Lebanese, we really need to sit down together, and that's we've been sitting down together for a long time. <laughs> yeah. But we really need to agree not on a compromise, but be truthful to ourselves and say, okay, what, what makes that country work? Okay. Right. Since I was born, I've never had a single year where there was no conflict. You know, exactly. I was born in exactly. the civil war. Yes. It was the Syrian occupation afterwards and the Israeli occupation. The Israelis left in 2000. And then there was the Harir assassination and war, all what's left and the Syrian left. And we didn't sit down. We didn't, we, we didn't agree on what Lebanon we want. There was kind of the Lebanese who see Israel as the absolute evil and the Palestinian cause as above anything else, even national interest. And you have a part of the population who say, okay, let's stay out of these conflicts. Let's stay out of all of this and let's concentrate on building a country that we can live in peacefully and kind of because the Israeli-Palestinian cause is not gonna end. But I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad you're. I'm, I'm just gonna interrupt you here. Sure. That the I'm glad you're pointing at something I've never heard before, which is enough of compromise. It's not working. I'd never heard anyone kind of say it that way. And you're reminding me about recent attempts at at even reaching a compromise that that don't stick. And that could be the Doha Agreement in 2008, which sort of, I mean, it, it lasted, if you will, just maybe a, a few months, maybe a year. You have the Baabda Declaration 2012 that never took off. So even when you're saying in a way that we should, it, we've been sitting together maybe too long, but even when we do sit together, it's not like we're coming to a real agreement that works regardless. So it's almost like an, a wasted wasted time at trying to compromise. Yeah, now, now I believe we have better ingredients than we had in 43. Mm. I believe most of the Lebanese, I hope, most of the Lebanese agree that Lebanon is a final entity. And that's the entity we want to live in. There's no more, I hope there's no more thinking that, okay, we're part of something else. Right, right. right. So at least that's better than what we had in 43. We, we were all born in Lebanon. We've all lived in this country. That's what yes. we've known, right? Right. And we kind of agree that, okay, this is it. Now, how yeah. can, yeah, go ahead. No, no, but that's but you're right. That's a very slow 
shift in, in maybe yeah it's so slow and to... that can be compromised i mean that can be compromised i've right. seen lately that there are people asking for partition there are people asking for being part of a bigger entity they might be extremes but if you let this extreme creep in then you know you never know what you're gonna get so because in the lebanese civil war I'm, I'm not sure if you remember but it was like probably five percent of the population that was fighting 95 oh, sure. percent of the population had nothing to do with it right sure so you don't need consensus you just need arms and a political opinion and you can create chaos in that sense but let me ask you because you're you're making me think now out loud a bit and i'm i'm curious the compromise is compromise lebanon's biggest curse in in a sense that even the cairo agreement is meant to kind of alleviate tension but it just leads to violence so that compromise in itself does not yield peace in lebanon it yields war uh, i don't think it yields war in itself but it kind of patches the problem until it explodes so you're not facing the problem heads on you're kind of saying okay we have this huge problem hmm. let's say uh, let's say you know let's try to, to bring in uh, something here something there patch a little bit here patch a little bit there and you're not kind of saying okay this is not right we need to correct that you know and, that's right. It. and right. when people did that you know it ended up not so well for them in that sense as well when people engage the problem heads on it, it didn't end up end well for them right so maybe so, that compromise is is necessary maybe i don't know but let's let's go with the thought that it's not let's i, I you've taken me to a place i've never been before which i enjoy mm. let's assume that the foundation is flawed like you kind of you alluded to which is the national pact the double negation and I've heard that expression before. It's, I mean, let's just say that the start, the starting point, is in itself a bad compromise, or not, maybe not a bad compromise, but it's a compromise that that did not work. It inevitably did not yield a prosperous, independent, sovereign state. It yielded the Lebanon that we're familiar with, and even the agreements in between, which are repetitive, these patchwork ideas. The Taif Accord is an agreement on itself. They, we, we've had the same thing in 58. There were people yeah. close to the Baghdad agreement, right. people close to the Syrian uh, uh, Egyptian unity and all of that. And you had that schism, but back right. then it was resolved fairly quickly. But, okay, but let's you say... You had that. Yeah. Right, right. But let's, let's say that all these agreements did not reach us to where we want and that we're watching a country that just cannot stand on its own two feet. From a, from a, from a Pacific point of view... If compromise is not the solution, which is in itself the most, that is the most specific way to handle a problem, what is the starting point? And I think you said, and I hope I got you right, that you said it's just, it's enough compromise. Now we need to kind of focus on something else. What is that something else that, that none of us know yet? And, and even... In terms of the protest movement, in terms of the regime, in terms of everything, the, all the dynamics in Lebanon, Hezbollah, everything. What is the what is the way out? If it's not compromise, what is the way forward? Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry to say this is not something that that can be resolved internally because it's not like I'm, I'm talking specifically about the Hezbollah 
weapons because this is a uh, an issue that splits the Lebanese, right? Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There, there are many issues. I mean, there are corruption and everything else. I think corruption can can have solutions. Mm-hmm. There are solutions for corruptions, I believe, in my opinion. But the Hezbollah weapon is a regional uh, thing that can only be resolved regionally. Is that a regional compromise that, that ends up like the Cairo Agreement, where a regional idea puts Lebanon into... Uh, chaos and 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 war, or is it something that may actually benefit Lebanon this time around? Because I'm I'm trying to get at what would work today in 2020 that that didn't work in 1970, 50 years ago, when you had enough similar dynamics at at stake. Uh, I'm not sure. Do you do you think? Uh, let me put the question back at you. Do you think there <laughs> there is a solution to that? I mean, what what's your view of it? You're smart. Because I personally don't. Well, personally well you're smart, and that's because <laughs> nobody's done this yet. I've done a hundred and almost 170 episodes. No one's flipped the questions back on me. So good job. Uh, get, no, because you might have have good ideas. I mean, I'm sure uh, you've thought of the, the issue, right? I mean. Uh, well, you should start your own podcast and then have me as your first guest. I'll, I'll share my own thoughts right away. I, I, I kind of run into a wall that, that and I, I find myself sounding like a broken record, record player. And I don't know if it's an appealing uh, thing when you keep trying to express an opinion that is widely either, either not shared or not seen the same way. And, and if it's shared, if it's shared... It's shared with enough reluctance and hesitation that it's just sort of a it's a lost cause, and I'll, I'll try to explain. Uh, I don't think that the easy things, and in my opinion, the easy things in Lebanon are very difficult. That includes accountability, which you which you just alluded to, uh, corruption in all its facets, in every way possible. Not simple, easy sort of nepotism or or crony capitalism i'm talking every every stage of corruption in lebanon and the whole system stinks uh that for lebanon i think is one of the easier problems to fix and this includes by the way the trash crisis that was never solved uh this includes environmental problems that we've grown up with and now many of us are sick with and and all the all the things but but see i'm I'm sorry to cut you i don't Mm. think these are problems in in themselves i mean if you find the right system, you can fix this in five years. There would be wouldn't be any trash. There wouldn't be yeah. any, you know. Right, and I, I exactly, and uh, I I think even in terms of simple things like the mountain quarry, uh, these sort of majestic views that are destroyed, all the things that we know about Lebanon and 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 also just just every every single problem, traffic, transportation, I don't think they can be solved unless you return to the crucial point of 1969. And that's part of the reason why I was curious about your view on on that agreement. Because I think that is the last time Lebanon worked. And it may not have been a great arrangement. It had its problems, clearly. There was violence before. I mean, 1958. There was its, there was a mini civil war in the country. People people died in Lebanon due to many problems: civil unrest, civil strife, regional problems, and all the nostalgia for for Ed Sheb. I think if we grew up under his rule, we probably would have protested him and gotten arrested. For sure. <laughs> yeah. So even even the guy that we kind of you know vener- we we look to him as the champion, he would have been a difficult president to yeah. live under. 
But even I, that... I, I don't like his system too much, but I mean, it yeah, worked. Right? I mean, like, this kind of Mukh- Lebanon's version uh, of Mukhabarat in the early 1960s was probably toxic. And, and he centralized power too much. He made it kind of bulletproof. And this is... Maybe sure. we're still dealing with that today. But we look now and we kind of look at him as somebody who, who kept the country together. Now, that that's something that you can work with. You can challenge that. And and your centralization, you can you can express... An opinion that may not, you know, may not resonate among some, but it may among others. Decentralization. Uh, you could go as far as saying federalism if you want. You can all these kinds of issues that are should, that should be on the table. And maybe some are better ideas, some are worse. Maybe some are just romantic and don't work. But all that aside, I don't think we can fix the basic structure without tackling a sub-state group that can circumvent and, and, in a way, tell the state how to behave and behave to its benefit, rather than the reverse, which is a group that is part of the Civil War era, a group that fought in the Civil War, a group that maybe was popular to a point even until 2000, that's 10 years after the war ended, is still in its Civil War stage and has has strengthened and gotten stronger over time and is now more powerful than than the state and that that to me is the that's the issue because even if it's an unpopular issue and even if it's too big to tackle and and i think you've said that in a way that it's a regional problem it's not a lebanese problem but then the focus should be on the regional problem because i want to live in a lebanon that works and i'm 100 percent agreeing with you here violence i would i would be the first person to stand up against any form of violence especially when it comes to challenging that kind of group because we know what the solution we know what the consequence of violence is in lebanon we know that that's militia against militia and we know that that looks terrible at the end and it costs many lives and it's not worth it yeah, we've done it before, right? We know it's we've not, done it before, it's exactly. We've done. <laughs> but I still think that if it's a problem beyond Lebanon's control, then it should be tackled regardless. I guess that's the the wall that I always run into, which is to, to tell you the truth. Uh, I told you I don't see a problem because the only the only one who can delegitimize the use of weapons are the supporters of that group. Mm-hmm. I don't think you can force your opinion. It will create further further division because i've had exchanges twitter exchanges right oh those are, are the probably, most yeah which are, which are probably and i've had live exchanges but you know in live exchanges usually not everything is said because there is yeah. that kind of mask you people wear mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there is this while on twitter it's pure uh, pure emotions pure rugged in, in most cases. Would you like to put a mask on now so we just pretend it's not you talking and we can... Uh... <laughs> no, no I'm, kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Listen, I tell things as they are. Right. If someone doesn't like them, he doesn't like them, right? But uh, if he thinks I'm wrong, he can say I'm wrong. In Twitter, you see the worst in people, right? Yeah, from me sure, and sure. from everyone else. Like, yeah. uh, while in social, uh, social uh, relationships, there are these social norms that we are accustomed to and mm-hmm. things are damped down. So going from that perspective, I've had exchanges on Twitter which are raw, kind mm-hmm. of. Yeah. 
especially when you're talking to an anonymous, then there's nothing, right? Like, sure. Talking to someone who has n nothing to lose, uh, he, he says it. He says the worst thing, no consequences, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's true. And so, or or had, biggest consequence, you get blocked, and then the conversation right. ends. Yeah. Right. So so you know, it's kind of that's it. That's what you're dealing with. And mm -hmm. I've seen a lot of people who really believe that this uh, this weapon is very legitimate. It is the solution. You cannot touch it. You shouldn't touch it. If you're touching it, you're a traitor. Mm -hmm. And they really believe that. Mm -hmm. And there are many Lebanese who believe that. Now, I believe differently. How are we going to come to a solution? How is it possible to come to a solution? I mean, yes, I, I can talk to you all day and say this is how societies are. This is how developed countries are, where the government has all the weapons and the decision making and the social contract and all of that. We can yeah. say it and repeat it and we've been repeating it. But does that resolve the problem? This is why I'm telling you I'm not too optimistic about it. And the only way it can be done is either through the supporters of that group kind of agreeing with us, which I don't see it right now, or the support for that group, regional support of, for that group is not there anymore. And that group is kind of forced to sit down and do some, you know, and kind of talk about it. At least. So talk I, about there, actually, maybe there's two points here I want to get into. And I, I thank you for letting me kind of get deeper and deeper into this issue, because I, yeah. I think it's important and it's not discussed enough, because I know and I know for probably the right reasons. People are more concerned about their wallet, about their bank account, about oh, sure. about yeah, food. Sure. So this conversation, I think, maybe rightfully doesn't doesn't stick all the time. And so I, I you know, that's just maybe a, an important point that the and, and that's a separate problem, right? That we have yeah. different problems. Right, and that probably speaks to the moment too that the focus really is on the individual well-being and, and society itself. But but I'm going to, I mean, with that said, I'm going to try to get two points sort of covered either a regional agreement which I'm guessing that that sounds like Iran and Saudi Arabia and other countries too perhaps hosting a summit on Lebanon and <laughs> getting maybe the Americans and the Russians on board and just maybe it's all done in Geneva who knows uh, I think I think this is too, uh, this is too simplistic I personally believe that uh, uh, Hezbollah is very important for Iran, and uh, you know it's nothing to be the, to, to be had in Geneva or whatever. Uh, it's not like that. I don't see it like that. So, so what is the what is the regional solution then to to that group's weapons in Lebanon? If it's not if it's not a summit where countries agree to leave Lebanon out of their problems, well, what is it? A regime change in Iran might do it. I see. Uh, I see. A compromise between, uh, I don't know, the maybe the United States and Iran about giving Iran. Uh, but that also, like, Israel is not going to accept Iran having uh, nuclear weapons. Mm -hmm. And in that sense, the USA will not accept it. So that's out of the table, right? So the regional agreement is not necessarily a nonviolent way forward. It could be its own kind of... It may be not directly related to Lebanese affairs, but it could be an unrest that puts weapons in Lebanon on the on the radar. Because I, I guess regime change in Iran is sort of a it, there's always sort of that sort of un, there's always low level unrest with the regime. But a, a proper regime change would be a very violent. Is that is that 
Uh, yeah, that's my neighbor doing some work. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, okay. I thought it was. Uh, I thought you know. Um, I thought we got hacked in the episode. And now your <laughs> your Twitter enemies are. <laughs> okay, well, they're doing a good job. Back to the regional thing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, every country does. Every regime does what's in his interest, right? Put yourself in whoever has whoever has control in Iran, right? What can you get to compromise that strong thing you have with Hezbollah? It has to be very, very, very big, hmm. extremely big. Yeah, it's not going to be sitting on a table with uh, someone for some, uh, you, you know, okay, remove some sanctions here, add some sanctions there. I mean, yeah, they might agree on things, but under the table, we know it's not a real thing. So you have to think in that perspective. Right. Right. So uh, okay, but that's... this is why I'm telling you it's. The solution is, um, for me, it's like it's not going to happen. Not now, anyways. But there's that other scenario, which is the average supporter sees Hezbollah's weapons as problematic. Not the group, not necessarily even the politics of the group when it comes to Lebanese affairs, that they see weapons as problematic. Are the solutions in the protest movement that we're still seeing in Lebanon, where that they are tackling all the issues at once and they're putting corruption as the most important problem within that the economic problems the political problems and all the problems that kind of fall in is that the way forward where you can then kind of begin the process of engaging because that those problems impact all Lebanese and there was a point in time in October November where it seemed like most Lebanese if not all and not sorry, not not all, but there was an overwhelming majority of Lebanese that saw the system they were living in as inefficient, corrupt, and that needs to be either f- fixed or removed altogether. That includes Hezbollah supporters. Mm-hmm. So is is that is the solution in that sort of pool of ideas, or is it something beyond that? Uh, there's a theory, which is if you do. Uh, if you do get power, let's say, in central government and remove whoever needs to be removed through elections or whatever, uh, are you really solving the problem? I mean, mm, mm. Uh, now let's go into a philosophical discussion about this. Uh, I personally am against single party rule in that sense. And even the well-intentioned people, when they get into power, you never know what you're going to get. It's a Pandora's box. Absolutely. Uh, I call for decentralization just from the sense that when you di- when you diversify power and when you diffuse power, uh, you're kind of uh, splitting the problem into many small pieces. Right. Right. And there's no single decision maker that if he does the wrong decision, he's taking everybody with him in the wrong direction. And right. Right. And this is why I think it might work in Lebanon. Now, the problem with that solution is that many Lebanese feel that it's a pre kind of a, you're segregating people. But if you do it not through a sectarian division, through a geographic division or through what we have in Ta'if as municipal uh, yeah. decentralization, but a stronger one where municipality would really have power to take decisions. Mm-hmm. 
even maybe legislative legislative decisions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You can work through that system and you can remove corruption without having the danger of someone getting power in central government and that someone having, uh, you know, full capacity. It can go in a devious way, right? If he does, uh, I don't know, if he goes and sleeps with Hezbollah on this, it might be a very, very bad situation for someone like me who would yeah, say, but, okay, buy Lebanon. And, right. Uh, you okay, know what I'm saying? So but so let's have that danger. But decentralization is something that I've seen mostly on Twitter. That kind of the, <laughs> a bit of an echo chamber, maybe that it's kind of a, everyone that believes in it sharing that, and whenever there's someone that disagrees, it's like a commu yeah, yeah. community attack. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, it's a divisive. It's a it's a divisive uh, idea because when it was brought during the war. It was brought in a yeah. sense of partition and things like that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, this is the last thing I personally, I'm not sure, maybe many people demanding the decentralization wants that. Maybe. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I personally do not want that. I, I would refuse that. Right. But decentralization, is that the solution to any problem that we experience in, in this regard, in terms of sub-state weapons? So I'll, I'll ask you in, in this different way. It, it won't resolve the weapons issue. This will not resolve right, the weapons. Right. Okay. So, let me, but I'm going to this mental gymnastics since we've kind of we've kind of entered the sort of the hypothetical stage, the forbidden stage, land. The forbidden <laughs> land. Yeah. And you know what? I think this time in life, it's okay to kind of detach a bit because the, what we're seeing is just misery. I mean, yeah. I, I kind of I'm entering a curfew in about I think an hour or two. So even being under curfew in New York is uh, for for all the wrong reasons. You know, all that we're seeing. I, I kind of like to sort of detach as much as I can. So thank you for letting me kind of go with you into this world of uh, distant ideas. Decentralization, the perfect way to detach from the problem, literally. No, actually, I, in my opinion, it resolves many issues. Okay, but, but I'm, I'm, let me hear what you want to yeah, say. Yeah, I want to ask you about 1969. You have a regional understanding that South Lebanon will become a battlefront against Israel and the PLO Arafat will be dislodged from Jordan within months and sort of the they will take they, they will operate from from Lebanon and five years later we have civil war and even in the five years in between things were degenerating quickly so there's that right De decentralize that story different Lebanon that's not the Lebanon that we know or we've read about does that does that make it less appealing for a sub-state group to operate? Or is it irrelevant altogether? It's just shielding some, whether it's communities or geographies, from a wider regional problem. Is that, I mean, I'm trying to get into what, what exactly is the benefit of a decentralized system when it comes to that, that issue. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm tackling decentralization from a point of view of removing corruption without... And when you remove corruption, you might, on the long term, remove that part of regional interference and whatever. Uh -huh. So, okay. So, okay. So, uh, so that's the link. It, I see. It won't have an immediate effect for sure, but uh, in the sense that when communities feel that they have some sort of protection, and you know, Lebanon is a bunch of minorities who, many of them, like the Druze, the Maronites, if they're out, they're out. There's no more Jews or Maronites. That's yeah, it. It's that's their true. existence. It's the existence of, of that community, right? So yeah. you can feel how tense things might be when it comes to their, or how they perceive 
their own fear and that fear has been played on when you decentralize a geographic decentralization not a Maronite state not a Drew state a geographic decentralization yeah. mm -hmm. most people first of all will start voting based on okay I voted for Rani what did Rani do to me okay <laughs> please take and your I, vote back don't <laughs> do, do I have a good job is the trash picked up do I have 24 hours electricity? This will become uh, the crucial uh, voting points because you have diffused that kind of existence, that kind of, oh, they're out to get us. You know, the Sunnis are out to get us. The Maronites are out right, to get us. Right. You kind of diffuse that because you've diffused power, because you've diffused the fiscal uh, policy, because... Right you have a decision on your own and i repeat and from a geographical point of view i don't think the whoever's living in kisirwan versus whoever living in jbail and a decentralized thing he would look at like the citizen of jbail would look at kisirwan he would see okay it's more developed than me why why is whoever i voted for not doing his job more than oh the Kisarwanis are out to get you because you know they're not it's you know what I'm kind of saying so you're kind of shifting the focus of the problem from that kind of fear that's always injected by the leaders by the politicians that fear to keep the troops to keep the uh, troupeau what's the troupeau to keep the uh, the group yeah in line kind <laughs> yeah. of right but but that's but that's you're looking at a local solution for a regional problem, if, if yeah, I understood you yeah, right. Yeah. This is why I said this will not resolve the Hezbollah problem. It wouldn't have resolved the PLO problem, but it would have resolved the confessional fighting because of Hezbollah problems or of because of PLO. And that, that makes that the sense. Lebanese state... Because what, what, what kind of brought us to war? It was part of the Lebanese feeling. Another part of the Lebanese have uh, advantages. They have, you know, it was that they used the PLO as a kind of struggle against. Uh, yep. It was the black black movement against the, you know what I'm saying, against the. Uh, uh, it's kind of in that sense. It's kind of fear infused with feeling uh, unprivileged, feeling that you don't have what you deserve. Did you and just then, did you just link? La, oh no, the let's ninth, not go there. <laughs> did you just do this? I, <laughs> you found a way to do it. No, I'll, I'm trying I'm trying to point out that minorities can be affected by that kind of fear, you know. If I'm part of minority, regardless if you believe in the religion of that minority of right, you belong to a group. Yeah. And if as belonging to a group and maybe I'm gonna diverge a little bit, maybe the Hezbollah supporters feel that fear but from the, Israel. Okay, but let's let's say these. I mean, because I, it's something that I always read up on. I follow it, and I see it as that kind of. It's an issue that's never properly put in the front of think, the. Yeah. yeah. So, a decentralized Lebanon is it still the same way of power sharing? It's or? very different. Okay, very different so in the sense that, uh, f first of all, uh, the problem now. Let's tackle the corruption thing. The mm -hmm. problem now is you have five, six, twenty people who control all the decision making. Okay, it's yeah. the religious leaders, it's the party leaders, it's yeah. that few people. That, mm -hmm. And the rest it could, it could are be, it could be even if you're an MP, if you're a minister, yeah. whatever, you're yeah. just following what. Sure. 
yeah. these people are. They're probably all on two hands. I mean, you can probably, we know who yeah, they are. Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And to pass any single law, any single thing, you have to go through these discussions and back and forth, and it's never the law you want because it's been stripped out to suit the consensus, to suit the compromise. Mm -hmm. We go back mm -hmm. to the compromise. And so if you decentralize, you're having different entities diff taking different decision making. You know, if uh, Nabatiyi wants to have its own electrical network, uh, it doesn't need to compromise with everybody else to get that electrical network if they need to build i don't know a, a, I'm, I'm putting things very um, very simple here but if they want to build the disneyland they don't have to go and build three disneylands because <laughs> disneyland's for the shias the disneyland for you know they they take the decision and run with it if the people in nabati feel that disneyland is a crucial point to their economy and to their well-being they will vote for it if not they'll vote against it if they don't vote for it and the project is not done the way it was promised to be done whoever took that decision will most likely be voted down so it's de decentralized uh, decentralization removes the the disadvantages of compromise exactly okay. in that sense that's interesting so so you don't you no longer need to find the sort of the equilibrium uh, yeah kind of. because that equilibrium you have, you have guarantees you have guarantees in the sense that okay you're no longer in danger because you're taking your own decisions you're uh, mm. uh, that leader cannot blame oh because okay it's you you have full power in that uh, in that kada uh, or whatever however right. you want to define it it doesn't matter however you want to do it yeah but in that entity you have power it's your decision it's not someone else's decision you cannot blame it on someone else you know so you're gonna face the voters when the voters right but okay let's say the uh, there's an unhealthy inertia that or equilibrium where that's just where lebanon usually finds itself for a period of time before it enters a, a phase of conflict and then re-emerges in a new far it's kind of a very slow lethargic medium ground where all of these figures or or and maybe in different eras different communities and today maybe it's a dozen or, or whatever 15 people that need to kind of agree get together agree yeah. yeah and let's say that that's never long term and it doesn't work a decentralized version of lebanon how could it emerge without without uh getting into the sensitivities and friction and perhaps low-level violence if not outright violence of communal struggle because i i, I want to know how how it looks literally because I, I know it's it's a topic that people do say it regularly it doesn't have to be along confessional lines and it wouldn't it wouldn't make sense to make it on confessional lines especially in a country like lebanon where nothing can yeah. be drawn that way so it doesn't no. just there's no map for that but what does the map look like? And let me ask you in a, in a very direct way: Is, for example, Tripoli? Is the borders of Tripoli are they drawn in a way to make sure that there's enough Christians in that zone, think, yeah. or is it something where you're trying to literally just isolate a city, even if it's 95% Sunni today? It's okay. That's Tripoli. We'll focus on Emun. And Amun will be its own little sort of circle. Yeah. I'm trying to see, like, what, what does that look like? Or is, is Gharta forced to join one of the two? Or is it divided in half? I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean this, is, this is the complex part because to do that system, you would need 
those 20 people empowered to agree on it, right? It's well, not going to happen. Those 20 people, but also, also, I don't know what it looks like in terms of these communities. Do they have a say in where they vote and how they vote and which zone they're in? Because yeah. it, it's very difficult for me to see it. If, if you do it, uh, I mean, if, like in the United States, if you're not happy in New York, you can always move to Michigan in that sense. I mean, I'm, I'm simplifying things. But, okay, okay. So it's uh, it's more like a American federal... Because, it's, because uh, on many issues, on, the, on most issues, it's the problem is not really confessional. Right, exactly. Cur- cur- it's made to, yeah. be, to look like that. Sure, it's made sure. to look like that. I'm sure that I, I share me- a lot more with someone from another confessional then uh, i don't know how to express this but no I, I i know exactly what you're saying i know i, I yeah. think i'll get along more with you than uh, you know my neighbor uh rabia you know what i'm saying in that sense there's no rabia uh, i made maybe, it up maybe rabia is a good no, guy no, who knows haram rabia <laughs> <laughs> you know what i'm saying i mean <laughs> i mean uh, problems are made to look confessional because that's the way to keep power that's the way to to kind of keep that fear yeah that's the way right and so uh, i don't think when you have local decision making when you have uh, movement is free and movement would probably not be confessional it'll be more out of convenience out of someone okay i like that i like Kisaran better than jbl or mm-hmm, i like tripoli mm-hmm. uh, so we're getting rid of also have problems in the sense that what if a minority in a Kada, for example, let's say you do it on a Kada basis, mm-hmm. a minority in a Kada is under a regime that it doesn't agree with and is kind of forced to move. So you have that that moral hazard. Yeah, yeah. I agree that that's a negative point that you can uh, fairly make. And they don't uh, feel they no longer feel welcome in their home. That's, yeah, that's, but, but that's that's kind of based on the assumption that the majority would choose a system that's it's kind of we're, we're preconceiving things. Yeah, that's true. You, you know, know so you're kind of preconceiving that Kisirwen will be this you know Maronite kind of fascist, uncompromising. Uh, no, no. Okay. That, so yeah, but know, no, no. Tripoli okay. is kind of that Salafist, or we're kind of saying things that are not really there. I, I don't think I, they're really there. I 100% agree with you, and I think it's Shia living in Jbeil is from Jbeil and probably thinks of Jbeil as all as, 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 as town, right? almost it's everything. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, somebody from uh, 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 a Christian from Merjayun is example, yeah. literally from the south and identifies with it in a way that wouldn't resonate in Jbeil. So there's that. I mean, I will, a and, and actually, fun, funda, fundamentalism, let's put it that way, fundamentalism will be rejected by the, the community itself, I believe. Yes, no, I agree with you. And I think fundamentalism is diminished when you have that kind of every, every community has its own minority that, they're, that they are protecting. It's almost like a local willingness to shield and protect. And I, I think exactly. in Lebanon, I can see that. It happens when your back is against the wall, but when you have kind of control. Uh, no, but but I guess no, but I guess what I'm asking is maybe I'm not maybe I'm not saying it the right way. Uh, is it is it so localized that you would have potentially a hundred states in Lebanon? Because because yeah. I'm trying to see is it, it does it is it drawn in a way that 
every village has its own authority or is it drawn in a way that's designed so that every uh, let's say majority community has its own minority community what exactly for for, for me I mean uh, I think the Kada thing will make sense it's 26 Kada that are already there they're already there so you just so you want the, the so you just assign more power to whoever. Uh, so there's no need to necessarily redraw those boundaries. No, no, that's but that's my point of view. Someone yeah, else yeah, might course, have something better. Something, yeah. Someone else might have something ridiculous, right? I mean, it's things to be debated. But if we're not accepting the concept from the get-go, then there's no need even to go there, right? Mm, okay. Yeah. But need to at least say, okay, that might be a good idea, which I think, right? I think it's a good idea. Maybe another idea is a is a good idea, but. I haven't seen one which makes sense to me in any case, but because I've, I, I live in Canada, right? I pay taxes to the city, to the province, to the state. You to live the in federal. you live in Qada, Quebec, right? Qada, Quebec, Medina, yeah. Montreal. Medina, Montreal. So, yeah. so in Lebanon, it would be Qada, Kesarwen, I guess. For or? example, yeah, for example. So, if yeah. you're living in Juni, you pay taxes to Juni. You mm-hmm. pay taxes to Kesarwen. You pay taxes to the central state. Right. The central states, of course, would have the the decision on the army, defense, foreign, uh, and, and that does these not, things that, would remain at the central state. But at right. least, at least, you've made the central state very small, right? Very right. small in the sense that you don't have two hundred thousand employees. Half of them not working. Half of them working. When that becomes a part of the Kada, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it's it's more micro, it's more manageable. You know, people know who's working there and who's not working okay. there. Uh, you, but know, le- you know what I'm kind of saying? Absolutely. But let's say this is a this is a classic example of state reform. You're trying to find a way that the Lebanese government can work better for its citizenry. It's a very basic uh, need, and Lebanon needs it desperately. State reform. And let's that, that's from the corruption point of view. I, I absolutely and and you said many things that I that I can I can imagine in a way and I see them as working better than what we have. And uh, I know that this does not. They, they might not. I'm not saying this is the truth. They might not, right? But this is something I think works, right? Okay, I've let's seen it. Then, yeah. Sure. I mean, let's go with the bet that what we have now is probably the one of the worst arrangements yeah, I mean, possible. It's not working. What we have yeah. is not working. That's, so that's okay. yeah. And let's let's test it out and see that. It doesn't dissuade somebody from the north from moving to Kisarwen if they see Kisarwen as a better uh, government, per se, local yeah. government. Also, doesn't prevent somebody in Kisarwen from leaving if they're not happy with the situation. Right, right, right. So there's almost like a natural competition among provinces to lure in the most sort of talented technocrats, if you will. I put these in quotes. Basically, that there's a there's a government there's a governance that suits the average citizen let's just go with that you also said at the same time it doesn't tackle the national army issue because that's a federal level issue that's yeah. a sort of exact that's it the you can't sort of currency and 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 uh, weaponry are left to a sort of a unified body can state reform even start in lebanon without addressing those fundamental things that would link all the provinces together because if we're not i mean i let's say this is the way forward wouldn't you need to start from the top at least and saying that we have a unified system we all agree to and now we're going to decentralize and leave it to local administrations or is it the other way what you're you're giving to local administrations is not uh, uh 
I, I don't like the word uh, dividing because you're not really dividing. You still have mm. a, sim- you know, you still have a central government. You still have your borders. It's still Lebanon. You still have uh, the army. You still have. What you're doing is, uh, you have a pot of, uh, I don't know, ten billion dollars a year. Let's say where you're spending it. Yeah. And now that pot is five hundred million per twenty entities or 400 million per 20 entities right. and then the central government will, will, would have its share mm-hmm. its share so you're kind of micromanaging how you're spending that stuff so that that in my opinion would deal with corruption you might still have a kada that's corrupt but you would definitely have kadas less corrupt okay so that but, deals with that part of the issue. can we get yeah. there can we get there while there's a there's a uh, a, a, a an army and sub-state group that would prevent it from happening exactly yeah uh, yeah, that, that's a challenge. It's uh, it, can you convince enough Lebanese to mm. ask for this? Mm. Right, that, that's that's the thing. Right. Uh, I've seen uh, voices in the wilderness <laughs> from known people. Right. <laughs> would, would it be would it become prophecy? I don't know. <laughs> that's, These are probably the same voices that I find them. They're all on Twitter. They just kind of. Uh, they they yeah, meet and it, they convert. I've seen it discussed outside of Twitter as well. I mean, uh, Twitter echoes out, right? Uh, yeah, that's true. Social media echoes out. You're right. It's but, not all the Lebanese on Twitter. I'm sorry. No, but I want to. I'm just the. Let, is this an idea that you see resonating among the average protester, where this is, could be a political platform? Because I don't yeah. see that as I see it so detached from what's happening that it's almost like it's meant to be only a theoretical assumption. And that, that might, I understand. Yeah, and I and I'm not not uh, I'm not sort of uh, I'm not discriminating against the idea. I just mean in terms of where the youth is on the streets of Beirut and and this discussion. Is there any yeah. sort of uh, overlap? No, to, to be pragmatic, to tell you the truth, it's very far from mm. the common citizen. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Very very far. Most of the common citizens who would probably ask for it are out of extreme fear because it's kind of uh, right right you know it, it's never out of okay let's think is it a good idea does it make sense and i have these ideas not because of lebanon i have these ideas because i've seen it work out elsewhere and this is how i think i kind of escape from single entities and everything i do in my life and i diversify right <laughs> <laughs> that, that's how I see life. So that's my viewpoint. That's my worldview. And so right. yeah. I kind of tend to project it on Lebanon and see it. It makes sense absolutely in that kind of. Uh, but yes, you have a point. A lot of Lebanese say, "Oh, we reject sec- sec- uh, sectarianism. You know, we want to live as one." But I've seen it since I was born. This is the same speech. It didn't change. Yeah, exactly. Every single generation said the same thing. There are. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, these these uh, photographs of church next to a mosque and let's hug each other. Yeah. Sure. Excellent. Yeah. I, I would love the idea. But is it is it possible? Is but, it possible? We've tried it. We, we have tried. So yeah. let's try a different system that would make it happen. That right? that gets to the core issue, which is compromise. And you've kind of you've you've laid it out wonderfully that in Lebanon, we're so good at compromise that we get nowhere in return. We just kind of get stuck in the same spot over and over. And when there's friction, we eventually reach back to some form of compromise that doesn't work. It's and the, a thing is, the thing is, Rani, when there is friction, the temple collapses very quickly. Yes. Now, that's now, the issue. Okay, that's so the progressive thing. Yeah. I completely agree. And I want to maybe let's wrap it up with going back just briefly to the Cairo agreement. Sure. 
which is the quintessential compromise, right? It's Lebanon can handle the Arab-Israeli conflict. <laughs> Good luck. And yes, 10% of the country will be a battle zone. We'll call it Fatah land. And, you know, good goodbye, Lebanon. That's not compromise. That's not compromise the way I think you and I would understand compromise. That's forced uh, narrative, and that's kind of a subjugation, and that's the destruction of a country. But within that, there was so much communal anxiety and so much sectarian sensitivity. And I think, I mean, I, I don't know what it would have been like in Beirut this, those this years. Is why, but This but, is why if we go back to 69, yeah. I think if you had a better system where it had less fear, it had less tension, it had less, the PLO wouldn't have even been able to, to be an armed group in Lebanon. I don't believe it would, so, if you had that. So, so, so decentralization tackles corruption, but also allays communal fear, where you can have communities that are no longer turning to that as they sort of... They would be more concerned on local issues, I believe. Hmm. That's my opinion, because yeah. you kind of have that guarantee of, okay, uh, you have a certain fiscal autonomy, a yeah. certain juridic autonomy, a certain administrative autonomy. Right. Whereas if you don't have it, and someone else in central government, you feel that he's taking everybody else with him through the central government, that's where fear starts to kind of, okay, they're taking decisions against me as a compromise. Okay, they, they, they're writing this in the constitution, or not the constitution, and, uh, you know, they passed this law, which is against what I believe, as opposed to you're on a local level and you deal with these things on a local level and nobody's taking you where you don't want to go. You know what? what I've right, I follow you. And you referenced America as an example of a system that would be appealing to you. I'm just going to wrap it up with offering you a, a direct example. Is it the way that Donald Trump and the White House may say all the things that are off-putting, may even engage in, in Twitter warfare, and may, may even encourage some forms of violence on occasion, whether or not that materializes is something else. But the fact is Donald Trump on his, on his phone is a very reckless leader, sort of pushing, pushing uh, people into sort of a very heightened form of anxiety. Le uh, Lebanon. America doesn't have confessionalism the way we know it. It doesn't have sectarianism. There are issues that are different, and there are sort of, there is injustice in, in America. But that's something else. It's a very different story. It's a very different experience. Uh, but Donald Trump is not able, even if he says things, and even if he wants to, he's unable to actually literally exactly. govern New York, whether exactly. it's the state or whether it's the city, that there are buffers to that. Now, the buffer is not a Druze governor of New York. It's not a Sunni no. or a Shia mayor. It's a governor in New York and a mayor in New York, and their identities matter less than their actual position, so to speak, where they're from and where they serve and where they see home. Did I get you right on, the, on that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And okay. to, to wrap it up as well, uh, that would allow you to remove the Sittim Karrara that we know in Lebanon, that in order to appoint a Muslim, you need to appoint a Christian. You can get away from this because central government is small and it doesn't have the decision making, and you can remove these kind of quotas, mm -hmm. which which are kind of superficial in my, you know. There's a lot that, I think there's a lot more that needs to be said in this kind of uh, issue. And I, if we have a follow-up episode, 
Uh, and actually, I'll do two things. If I see the numbers go down, we won't have a follow-up episode. If I see them go up... Block me and, and say I hijacked the episode. I wasn't supposed to be there. No, I'll, call, I'll, I'll call Rabia. <laughs> I'll call your neighbor. I'll see if he wants... No, let's have a follow-up episode on exactly what's at stake. Because I think a lot is sort of said without it literally being... I'd like to see a sort of a manual of what this looks like. Because... Then we can get into many things, what a Senate would look like, perhaps, or what a different sort of parliament would look like, what exactly elections, elections and then maybe if it's not municipality, are there local parliaments? I mean, I'm, I'm really curious about how this translates long term. And I'll say this, I know that this is an unpopular view among most Lebanese. I know that. Sure. And I think, uh, I mean, the fact that I think it's sort of said that it has this, it, it, it's tainted by things. With the war. It's tainted with, with the war, yeah. But maybe it's time to look at it without the war lens and look at it sort of as something separate. And I'm, I'm really happy. You walked me through many things. You walked me through the dilemma of compromise. You took me into a sort of this new terrain of maybe philosophy in the Lebanese state. And you also uh, kind of gave me the the most, I think, objective neutral take on decentralization and how it translates for lebanon and um, you're very kind with your time you gave me 45 minutes more of your time than i assumed so you're very generous with your time and uh thank you i really appreciate this this is very quick without much planning and you did me a a, a, a big favor by joining the podcast within 90 minutes so thank you, thank Ronnie. you. and i'd like to, to uh, tell whoever's watching this episode just Take it from an open mind point of view, right? You, you don't need to agree with it. Just think if it makes sense. If it doesn't, that's fine. But uh, don't take it as this extreme uh, kind of opinion that I won't even look at, right? I mean, th th that's my message, uh, I think. And thank you again. All hate message goes to Weil. All, all love messages and uh, hearts and likes go to me. That's yeah. That's uh, no problem. I'll we, take that. There's no need for compromise anymore. So let's decentralize the issue. I'll take positive. You can take the negative feedback. I like that approach. <laughs> well, thank you. Nice talking to you. Thank you, Rani. Thanks for listening, and a friendly reminder to help support this podcast by contributing through Patreon or PayPal. All links are in the details box below. Until next time, I'm Rani Shatah. And this is the Beirut Banyan. <laughs>